Come, Lord Jesus, this morning. The places of darkness in our own hearts and lives, would you come with your light? Lord, would, uh, the places of darkness in our church, would you come and bring your light? Would you speak, Lord, to us? And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I almost hate bringing this up after the glory that we have uh, been hearing this morning, but this year, even though this is an old movie, for the first time ever in 2017, I saw the movie Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell. Um, those of you who have seen it laugh, because it's ridiculous, and uh, the rest of you don't know what I'm talking about. But there's a famous scene in the movie where uh, Farrell's character leads his family in prayer, and he prays to the dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus. And someone yells, you know, he grew up, right? And he says, well, the baby Jesus is my favorite Jesus, so I'm going to pray the baby Jesus. And he's a race car driver. That's the background, you know. And this is what he said, and I wrote it down to read to you. He said, dear tiny Jesus in your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist, don't even know a word yet, just a little infant and so cuddly, but still omnipotent. We just thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million, love that money, that I have accrued over this past season. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. <laughs> and this scene is ridiculous. As you might imagine, it keeps going from there into more ridiculousness. But it highlights the way many of us, and I include myself in this, approach the baby Jesus in a manger. We in this season as Westerners can be tempted by sentimentality to regard this whole thing as a sweet little story about hope and shepherds and a cute eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus that leaves us feeling vaguely cozy and comforted, but doesn't quite touch the nitty-gritty of our real lives, of our real world that we live in every day. Stanley Harawas one of my favorite theologians said, the true enemy of the Christian faith is not atheism, but sentimentality. When we approach these lessons this morning and we hear about the wolf dwelling with the lamb and the little child leading them and the cow and the bear grazing together, of course we want that. Of course we long for that, but we can be tempted to think of it as a nice fairy tale. It can't really be true. We think of it as something that religious people cling to, to harness the young and to give comfort to the old. To fill our lives with the warm glow of religious sentiment and Bing Crosby and Charlie Brown Christmas, which, by the way, I'm a big fan of Charlie Brown Christmas, so that's no knock on that. But this is a season when a lot of people are selling something. We see endless commercials proclaiming joy and peace and comfort, for a pr and it, there's always a price tag on it. And there's surprise faces with new cars with those giant bows on top, or little boxes of jewelry. And kids, kids here, maybe you've heard this toy that will make all your dreams come true. And we're told that peace and joy and comfort 
can come from that perfect present. People are selling things. And we can think that this gospel that Christians proclaim is just another thing being sold. That Christians are proclaiming that if you buy our product, and in this case that's faith in Jesus or joining the church or getting religion, as they say, that we promise that all your wildest dreams will come true and that your life will be blissful and that your children will be well-adjusted. But we aren't selling something here today. We aren't selling anything today. We are proclaiming that something happened around 2,000 years ago in a backwater town that is more real and more actual than any of us in this room, than any of our abstracted beliefs, than any politics or culture. Christmas commemorates nothing less than the day when God, as one theologian puts it, when God, incarnate in Christ, laid himself open to the devil's fury because we ourselves were in such great peril. We are proclaiming good news. It is such good news. It is good news, and we can rejoice. It's incredible news, and it's news that's hard to believe, that even for people who were there when it happened was hard to believe. Strange things began to happen. Shepherds were suddenly terrified by angels. A virgin encountered an angel and became pregnant. A man had a dream that God spoke to him. And the Bible begins the strange story in the most boring way. It doesn't read like a superhero tale, but a tale of bureaucratic history. It says, in those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that, in all, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when uh, Quirin, I'm sorry, Quirinius was governor of Syria. How could something so otherworldly be mixed with utter mundaneness? As a writer, this is not the way to begin a persuasive story. But what we are waiting for when we say, O come, O come, Emmanuel, is not a fairy tale that will take us out of this broken world, out of this real and mundane world. We are proclaiming that God, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson in the message says, God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He came into our actual time, in history, in fact. We're proclaiming a reality with rugged hands and a stinking stable and a bodily reality. The bodily reality of what G.K. Chesterton called God's furious and true love. When we say God's, that the, um, when we talk about the furious love of God, we don't mean that God is angry. That's not what we mean. We're saying that the love of God is not just meek and mild, but it's untamed and mysterious and massive as any ocean. Brennan Manning says this about the love of God, and it's long, but hang with me because it's, um, it's important for us to hear this this morning. The shattering truth of the transcendent God seeking intimacy with us is not well served by gauzy sentimentality, 
schmaltz, or naked appeal to emotion, but rather in the boiling bouillabaisse of shock, bordering on disbelief, wonder akin to incredulity, and affectionate awe tinged by doubt. The furious longing of God is beyond our wildest desires, our hope or hopelessness, our rectitude or wickedness. Neither cornered by sweet talk or gentle persuasion, it is not to be reduced to a grand ideal. It is not a plaything, a caged songbird for the amusement of children. It cannot be tamed, boxed, captivated, housebroken, or temple-broken. It is simply and shockingly Jesus, the affluence of the Father's love. It is shockingly Jesus, the affluence of the Father's love. Christmas does not just proclaim a sweet baby in a manger, though Jesus was indeed that. But that that baby is the incarnate God, the Christ who has come, who is alive and who is so inescapably real and near that you can almost feel his breath. I told uh, you, you may remember in a recent sermon, that uh, last month I had this unique opportunity where I was asked to write about why I'm in the church why I remain in the church, to readers who aren't Christians. And this is what I said. I said, at the heart of the church is either total folly or the mysterious power and love of a dying and resurrected God. If it's the former, we should be pitied above all men. But if it's the latter, there is more reality here than I can sum up with words, than I can dream about, than any of us could hope for. There is a reality here that sweeps us up into the untamable love of God. C.S. Lewis said that when he was an atheist, knowing God seemed as absurd as Hamlet knowing Shakespeare. But that he realized eventually that Hamlet could know Shakespeare if the author, if Shakespeare, wrote himself into the play. And this is what we proclaim. This baby in the manger is the author the eternal one, and we are Hamlet. He is more real and eternal than anything on this earth, and he has written himself into the play. We heard that this morning from Genesis all the way through. He's telling a story, a true story. God and his love has come to know us, to seek us out, to find us, to live among us, to die for us, to come alive again and pull us into his life. This morning, the invitation is not to buy a product that we are selling, but to enter into the reality of knowing God through this real incarnate baby who lived among us and who did not inaugurate a fairy tale, but came into this real and broken world where even as an infant, he faced a world of death and sin and genocide and vulnerability and violence. The hope of Christmas is that we can know this furiously loving, untamable God because God came and revealed himself to us and wrote himself into actual human history. 
God wrote himself into actual human history. Could this be, could this mystery be made real in a human body? Could you know this incarnate God? This is what is on offer today. This is what is most enduring and most real. If you would like to know this God, ask him to reveal himself to you. In our time of silence after the sermon or later this afternoon, pray that he would show himself to you, that he would reveal himself to you. Ask that he would be king in your own life. If you've been a Christian for a long time and you've been around this church stuff for a long time and this is old news to you, consider asking again that God would show himself to you in new ways, in powerful ways, in startling ways. And if you aren't sure what you believe and you're figuring it out, we're glad you're here. But I... I would ask you to take the scriptures we're reading. We started in Luke this morning. Take the rest of Luke and read about this Jesus that everyone is talking about. And ask yourself, who is this man? And just read. Read about Jesus. And talk to us. Talk to one of the priests here. We would love to talk to you more about who Jesus is. Or a friend of yours who's a trusted Christian friend. But if you've never asked Jesus to be Lord and King, you can today. It's not magic. You can pray. You can talk to him. He's real. You can ask him to show you if he's real. That's a prayer, as someone said that uh, in the first service, that he loves to answer. Challenge him. Ask him to show you if he's real. You have nothing to lose. And ask him if he loves you, if he knows you, and if he loves you. I dare you to ask him. Would you receive this morning the love of this untamable God, whether you've known him all your life or not at all? What would that look like for you to receive the love of an untamable God? who has come to seek you. I wonder what that would look like for you. Let's pray. Lord, come. We yearn for you. We yearn for your reality to sweep us into your untamable love. This morning, would you seek the hearts of each one of us? Would we behold you, who you are, Would we worship? Father, would you speak the truth that you spoke at Christmas? That the word has been made flesh that has moved into our neighborhood. Would you pursue us and help us to pursue you? Come, Lord Jesus. May we know you. Thank you that you know us. In your name, amen.